The title of this morning's message is The Tomb, and I do want to tell you and admit to you, as I studied this week, I caught this, as Heather knows, just before printing, because my original title was The Empty Tomb, and I was not happy with that as I continued to study the text, and uh, technically that would not have been right, so you'll see why if you don't already as we go on this morning, uh, but so many things refer to it as The Empty Tomb. As we come to chapter 20 in the account of John, we certainly are obviously confronted with the resurrection. And let me make some comments on that. The resurrection has always been a fascination. The concept of life after death, heaven, hell, all of those things are a fascination regardless of what people believe on them. The concept of there being a resurrection, the concept of there being life after death, the concept of there being the potential of a heaven and hell have always, through the centuries, drawn the in interest of man. In fact, all you need to do is be somewhat observant of society, and if anybody speaks of an, quote-unquote, a near-death experience, everybody's ears perk up. They want to know what happened, what was it like, what went on, and the curiosity of people becomes evidence. If anyone writes a book that has to do with heaven or hell, it becomes a bestseller. Uh, for example, when I was going through the book of Revelation, I referred to the book, Heaven is for Real, based upon the life of a four-year-old boy. And uh, that attracts people's attention. They want to know, is this possible? What really happened? Major magazines and newspapers much of which is kind of being done away with because of all the technology and you can read everything online and so forth. But nevertheless, major magazines and, and newspapers have written about it. The Washington Post in 2010, for example, had an article dealing with the concept of heaven and life after death, right in the Washington Post. Time Magazine had an edition where on the front cover and the main aspect of it was this title, Is Heaven Real? And so it's an interest that goes around the world. Even the brightest, and I use this in a sense that the man I'm referring to is a pretty brilliant man, but in terms of the, what the world would say as far as the brightest minds. God's opinion of the brightest minds is a little bit different. But uh, one of the brightest minds has his own opinion, and that was Stephen Hawking. And some of you know about him and his life. And he says, heaven is a fairy tale but he's even interested in the concept of heaven, and he's an atheist, so he doesn't believe that it's real, but he comments on it, and people look up to him. So there's many, many people through many generations that have continued to talk about this concept of life after death, the possibility or non-possibility of a resurrection, and the possibility of heaven and hell. Certainly by observation, by observation, very few have observed a resurrection. In fact, I feel very confident in standing before you and saying to all those in my hearing or that would listen to it on the website, no matter where they're living, I feel very confident that none of you have observed a resurrection of a dead person from the grave that has come back and told us what heaven and everything else is alike. So, the physical resurrection is a most significant event to talk about. 
and it draws our curiosity. Further than that, for any person to raise themselves from the dead would indeed, would it not, be the greatest miracle ever performed to raise themselves from the dead. And it's interesting because as we talk about Jesus Christ, before we get into this text, I get fascinated. You know, I'm kind of oversimplistic and, uh, in, in some of these areas. And sometimes even people say, well, it's just not that simple. I don't know. But when you get into the concept of the deity of Christ, all the theologians and people debate. That's why I get fascinated even today. Christians are always debating certain things. And, and sometimes, you know, you can use your mind and do anything you want with it, but it becomes very simple. You want to talk about the deity of Christ? Very simple. If anybody can raise themselves from the dead, they've got to be God. Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. Talk about anything else you want and anything he said. He's got to be God. No one can do that. You can't raise yourself from the dead. I can and no other man can. So doctrinally as well, as we come to the concept of the resurrection, it is very important that we understand what we're dealing with. And it's very important we understand what happened. Now, to some who have been with the last couple of messages, and I, you know the emphasis that I gave on the physical death and the actual burial and so forth, you might have just kind of not that important. It is very important as we come into our text this morning. As we come to our text this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ himself, and I'm just going to stick to John in the beginning here to help you, except for one verse that I'll refer to outside. But as far as the teaching of Jesus Christ, he's been teaching his disciples that he had to die and that he would raise himself from the dead. And they didn't get it. Go back to John chapter 2. Go back to John chapter 2. We've seen it before, but it's important that you see it again. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. The Jews then said to him, what sign? Now, if you know a little bit about the Jewish culture and you know a little bit about the fact that they were the chosen people of God and given instruction, they were looking for signs. They wanted to see evidence. So they said, what sign do you show us as to your authority for doing these things? And this is right after the uh, situation where you had the wedding feast in Cana and then the cleansing of the temple. So you had these events, and they said, who do you think you are? Show us what signs. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, watch, I will raise it up, he says. And the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And they're looking at the structure and said, you know, look at all the years that it took to get this, you know, and you're going to raise it up? What are, you, what are you talking about? But he was speaking of the temple watch of his body. There's no question what he's saying here, folks. He said, my physical body will die, and I will raise it up, he says. So when he was raised from the dead, this is important to our text, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. But at the time, they couldn't comprehend it. Now, just go to John chapter 10, one other passage in John. In John chapter 10, we saw these verses last week again, verses 17 and 18. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Remember that? We talked about how, for us, it's a, it, we never know when it's coming. Jesus knew exactly when he was going to die. 
He laid down his life, notice, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. The soldiers didn't do it. The Jews didn't do it. The Gentiles didn't do it. But, he says, contrast to that, I lay down my, I, I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And I'll just stop there. So Jesus has been teaching this all along. I am the one who will lay down my body as a sacrifice, basically, to fulfill the Father's will, and it will be myself that will raise it from the dead. I will do it. The concept of the resurrection was not new to Jesus' day. Now, yes, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, but the concept has always been around. In fact, it was Job, and I personally do believe that Job could possibly have been the oldest book of our Bible. I know our arrangement puts it in a different place for different reasons. But Job, who we do know, by the way, though this is not really uh, politically correct as to what I'm about to say, and I hope there are some scientists that are listening to this, and some biologists and so forth and so on, but Job walked with the dinosaurs, and he didn't do it in amusement parks. He did it on this planet, and it was real. Okay, because he was told to look at the examples of Leviathan and so forth and so on. But it was Job back then who was going through so many difficult trials that was told, even, or said this, even after my skin is destroyed, that's pretty descriptive of the grave, isn't it? I think so. Yet, from my flesh, I shall see God. So even he, when you go all the way back, had that concept. Daniel makes it pretty uh, straightforward that he believed in a resurrection and many of the other prophets and certainly the apostles uh, had that concept though they didn't really understand all that Jesus was saying. So the resurrection is important. Yet as we see and we will see in the text this morning they didn't get it. They heard it, they believed in it, but they still didn't fully grasp it. They were not even in the case of Jesus Christ with his teaching expecting him to rise when they put him in the grave. Now remember, there is no question that he has died physically. Did Jesus die physically? Yes, we went through that last week. And to make sure professional soldiers, equipped, trained, understanding fully how to kill a person, took a spear and put it right into his side, knowing where it had to go to make sure he was dead because they were responsible with their own life, he was dead. There is no question that the grave that he was taken from, uh, taken to, excuse me, was identified. People knew where it was. We know who the owner of it was. The soldiers were on duty. They knew it. The ladies were there. They saw it. There's no question where he was buried. It's very easy to find. Well, when we come to our text, we're dealing with a resurrection. And as I said, it's a very significant event. I believe personally, this is a personal thing, that it is probably the most important doctrine in the Christian life. Why? Because of what you read in 1 Corinthians. Folks, if there is no resurrection of the grave, if there is no resurrection from the dead, you have nothing. That's what all the other religions of the world have, nothing. They might have leaders, 
They might have prophets, as they call them. They might have messiahs, as they call them, or whatever. But they are all dead. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And if there is no resurrection, you have no faith. In fact, as the scripture said, you and I are to be pitied most of all. We're, we're actually a liar in behalf of God. And not only that, we should be out living and having a great time because there's really no morals or anything else if there's no resurrection of the dead. But Christ has risen, and there is a resurrection. So I say all of that right away in chapter 20 because I want you to watch from chapter 20, verse 1, until we finish the book through chapter 21, I want you to watch for the evidences of the resurrection and to examine it carefully. Why? For the same thing that you're going to see that John came to, so that you would come to believe. Because it doesn't rest upon Pastor Dan. It doesn't rest upon religion. It doesn't rest upon anybody else other than God to reveal to you what took place. And if the resurrection took place, and it did, and you see all the evidence, and you will, and you still refuse, remember it when you stand before God after you're dead. Because you will be without excuse. You will never be able to turn around and say, no one told me. God, you didn't predestine me. It's your fault. You will be without excuse. You will be without excuse. So let's look at it. The tombs discovered, verses 1 and 2. I already read them, so you look at them. We are introduced right away to Mary Magdalene, and all that is is it's Mary of Magdala. Uh, Magdala, I guess. I'm not sure what the pronunciation, anyone that's been around me, and I don't say that lightly. I, I have difficulty sometimes with that pronunciations, whatever. But let me tell you this. I've been in the area. It's in the northern section of the Sea of Galilee. And that's all that she was from that area. That's how she had that name, Mary of Magdalene or Magdala. Okay, she comes to the tomb. Now, did she know where the tomb was? Keep your finger here. Turn with me to Matthew 27 for a moment. Matthew 27. I want you to see this. In Matthew 27, verse 57. Did she come to the right tomb? That's why I spent time to, they were able to identify. Well, verses 57, just at 61. When it was evening, there came a rich man, remember this from last week, from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a, a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own tomb, so we know the owner, new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now notice verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Did they know where they were going? Did they need a GPS? Did they need MapQuest? No. They knew exactly where it was. She didn't go to the wrong grave. She went to the grave. She saw the physical dead body of Jesus placed in there. She stayed there and saw the stone rolled in front of it. She is without question an eyewitness to where this grave is. 
And so she runs there. It's the first day of the week. Now let me say a couple of things about that, and this will stimulate some of your thinking right away, I'm sure, and probably get questions from me. But it's the first day of the week, it says in chapter 20, verse 1 of John. That is the day after the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday. This is Sunday. Listen carefully to what I say. It was not a very significant day in the eyes of people at all. It was just the first day of the week. Saturday was a significant day to them. Saturday was the most important day. This was just a normal another day of the week. Now, did Sunday become a significant day? Yes. Why? That's one of the evidences of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ rose on Sunday, it, you will find, and I'll give you a couple of references I won't turn to. If you look to Acts chapter 20 on your own, if you look to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on your own, you will see that they met at the first day of the week. Now, here's where I'll have some questions come. But I like to stimulate your minds. Did they have to meet on the first day of the week? No. No. They did because of the resurrection and because of the distinction that it had with the Jewish Sabbath day. But there is nowhere in Scripture that we are commanded to meet on Sunday. It's not there, folks. We just do it because that's what happened. It's not commanded that it's the only day of public worship. But it became the significant day, and it became the distinction, and it was centered around the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we meet on Sundays? We meet on Sundays because of that significant event and because it was carried on, but they also met day after day after day in the early church. So just remember that. She came with the other woman. She also came with spices. Now, I will give you the references because of time. I won't turn there. But Mark chapter 16, verse 1, and Luke chapter 24, verse 1, so that you have them. They came with spices because they expected to find the body. And if you remember, they quickly put the Lord Jesus Christ in the grave. They wrapped him up, and they put a lot of spices already in the wrappings, but they didn't have time to properly do it all. Why? Because of the Sabbath, they needed to get the body down. We spent time on that. So they're not coming expecting. I want you to catch that. It wasn't that the Christians, the believers, the disciples of Christ, the apostles, came to that grave saying, listen, we had better take this body away. We better do something because we have to spread the concept of the resurrection. Not what happened. They came to a grave expecting to find him. They came to a grave expecting to put the anointing of the body and all these spices on him. And so the women come there. And it's early in the morning, it says. It was still dark. And I can't believe it, but you do have some people that say, see, it was dark, they couldn't see, they went to the wrong grave. They, are you kidding me? Come on. All he's saying is, if you ever, I, I jog in the summertime early in the morning, and it's great to see the sun coming up. I can see. I don't get lost when I run from this property, and I run and then come back and say, well, it's kind of dark. Maybe I got the wrong church. It doesn't happen. You wouldn't do that with your home. That stuff is foolish. 
What isn't said in our text in John, just to make you aware of, but I, I told you to keep your finger in uh, Matthew for just a moment here, and here's why, is there was also an earthquake that took place. Now, John's not interested in that detail because he really wants to center on the body of Christ. But I'm just letting you know, an earthquake took place and an angel descended. What I do want you to catch is this. It was not the earthquake that moved the stone. Because if you look at Matthew 28, which is right next door, it says specifically there that the stone was moved by whom? Come on. An angel. It says in verse 2. The Lord descended from heaven and came. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came. And the angel rolled the stone away and sat upon it. It wasn't even the earthquake. This was all God doing this. And so she comes, and what did Mary see? She saw the stone rolled away. Who did it? The angel did it. Last thing she saw was the stone rolled in there. It was a heavy stone. Remember, there were guards that were put there. There was a seal that would, was put there. And people asked, what happened to the guards? Since John doesn't deal with it, I'm only going to go through it in passing. They were in shock. And that's what the scriptures tell us. They stood as men that were fearful as dead men. I would have been too. If I was looking at a grave and a body disappeared and I was standing there and I, my life was in a line, I would have been white as a ghost, as we say, and dead in shock. And that's what happened to them. So she comes and then they run to tell the story. And apparently uh, what happened, Mary saw this and Mary does look in, according to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 6. Her actions is she runs to Peter. She runs to John. He's the other disciple that we're talking about, the one that Jesus loved, if you look at in verses 1 and 2. Okay? And she runs and she reports uh, what? He's not in the tomb. He's not there. Okay? Why? She reports some wrong information. Uh, she just simply gives some detail there, if you compare with the Matthew account, uh, but doesn't know what happened. And then the Lord's going to appear to her. The point is this. The tomb does not have the body of Christ in verses 1 and 2. Mary gets there. She knew the grave. She knew he was physically dead. She saw him. She's there to minister. She's not there to spread any rumors about her resurrection. And she goes, and he's gone. He's gone. That leads us to verses 3 and 8, 3 to 7. The tomb is examined. What we have is a foot race as we look at it, obviously. Peter and John, and again, I say that it's John. It's the disciple who Jesus loved. They're not expecting a resurrection either. They're in shock. What do you mean he's not there? What do you mean he's not there? He was buried. We know the tomb. And a foot race starts. And obviously, John wins the race. So there's the first uh, ribbon for the Olympics or whatever. But off they go. All right, he, he runs this race, verse 4, he beats them. What did they see? They see a tomb. And here's why I technically say it's not an empty tomb. They don't find an empty tomb. They find something very significant. There is something in the tomb, but the body's gone. And so they run. And you come down to verse 5. And in between, that's all that took place. They, she reports, they run down. You come down to verses 5 through 7. Let me read them. And stooping and looking in, he saw, that as John gets there first, the linen wrappings lying there. So there's something in there, but there's no body. He didn't go in. 
And so Simon Peter came also following him, and he enters the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings there. He saw the face cloth which had been uh, on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So what have you got there? They come, and now they come to the tomb, and they examine the tomb. And they give it a further examination. What do they see? The other disciple doesn't go in, but he sees the linen wrappings and no physical body. As someone said, and I have no idea who originally said this, I want you to understand the grave wasn't open so that Jesus could get out. The grave was open so these people could go in and look. That's why he didn't need anybody to roll anything back. It was rolled back so they could go in and look. What's the point? The point is Jesus is not there. He's not there. And as they look at the linens, they find something that's very important. If somebody came in and stole the body of Jesus, do you think you would have found this? That the wrappings are neatly there and that the headpiece is separate from the body piece? Who in their right mind would have done that if they were stealing the body to take all that time? No one. No thief would do that today. Not only that, let me give you some other food for thought. Do you remember there was something in the area that said 100 pounds of spices of great value? Do you think they would have left that there if they were thieves? Thieves and grave robbers went in to get all the stuff that was valuable and to take it. They leave it all and took the body? You got to be kidding. I think it takes greater faith to believe that because it just doesn't happen. But you see something else. They see this face cloth that's separate. I want you to catch this. Go back with me to John chapter 11 for a moment. See, we, we look at this. We see the wrappings. We hear about it. And oh, yeah, OK, fine. They went in. They found the wrappings. <laughs> that's very significant. Why? It's totally unlike what we just learned about in John chapter 11. What do we learn there, Pastor Dan? Look at verses 43 and 44. Remember this? Lazarus had been dead. In fact, he stunk, right? We talked about that. Jesus did that purposely. Verse 43, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, watch, check me out. And the man that had died came forth, left his linen clothes wrapped neatly in a pile with his face covering separate from them. Is that verse 44 in your Bible? I don't think so. Watch. The man who died came forth bound, hand and foot with the wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said unto them, unbind him and let him go. That is not John chapter 20. Jesus did it himself. Raised himself from the grave and left all the clothes right there. Now what's the significance of the face wrapping? They wrap that with a separate piece of cloth. And you can do another number of readings in there when it's wrapped neatly. Some said it was off in a corner and so forth, but it just simply says it was separate by itself. And in all probability, I do think they're right, the ones to take the position on this, that the appearance was that the cloth just simply went down and the body went out. 
And it was as if the body just went right through the wrappings. That's exactly what happened. Jesus just rose from the dead and left the wrappings right there as the evidence that he's gone. And so they go in and they see all of that lying there. Apparently there's no stench. Why? This fulfills scripture. His body didn't decay. This is God, very God, dying as a man. The face cloth is separate. Why? Because it was tied separately and Jesus went right through it. And it just neatly was there. The expensive spices were there. All of that to point out that Jesus is gone. They knew the grave. He had resurrected. Just so I don't overlook it, or you don't think I bypass it, just touch it a little bit because I do think there's significance here. It's interesting when you look a little closely at this, the terms that are used here for seen, because there's three different terms that are used in the text. And I'll help you to see it. That's not a play on words. Uh, in verse 5, it says, In stooping and looking in, he saw, speaking of John, that's just a normal word for the fact that he looked in and his sight saw something. Come to verse 6, and it says, And Simon Peter came following him and entered in the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings. And that's a little different word where he stared at them. He stared at them and, you know, intently looked at these things. First one just takes a quick look. The second one comes in. He intently looks. And then by the time you come to verse 8, which is where we want to go, because that is leading up to the tomb being pondered, you have a different word that's used there. And what happened? Now John perceives. He took a quick glance. Peter intensely looked at it. And it's John that perceives because the word that's used there in verse 8 has that connotation that he saw and believed. He perceived what had happened. He understood it. All of that pointing to the real resurrection. The disciples are surprised. He's not there. They're not going to make up a story. There's nothing to make up. They come and they find the condition with the body gone and all the linen sitting there. The spices are still there. And what happened is John and the other disciple, uh, Peter, here are seen in verses 8 and 9. And John comes to the place that the whole of his writings are designed for. And that is so that you see these things and come to believe. He came and believed. God opened up his understanding. How do we know? What did he believe? Well, it says in verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scriptures. It identifies John as being one to believe. Did he just believe nothing else? Did he just believe in general? No, I don't think so. He looked in. He saw that Jesus was gone. He believed that he had been resurrected, not that it was stolen. And he must rise again. So the other disciples, they went and they go home. God opened his understanding. He didn't need any more evidences. We haven't even got to what we're going to find in John chapter 20. Because the Lord is going to have all kinds of appearances to people. We're not even there yet. John had enough evidence. He had walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew where the grave was. He knew the situation. He knew it was guarded. He knew what had taken place and that it was empty. And there wasn't a thief that came to take it. He didn't have to make up a story. He had enough evidence. Jesus had done exactly what he said he would do. 
Peter, at this stage, not so sure. All the teaching that has been given. What's the significance of that, Pastor Dan? How much teaching has been given to this assembly, to you? There are young people in this audience. There have been people that have been coming to this church probably 40 years, other people not so long, and you've had all the evidence that you need, and you still won't believe. It's not my job to convince you to believe. It's my job to preach. God will open up your heart. It is up to God to do that. But folks, what are you waiting for? You have a situation where Jesus Christ not only laid down his life willingly to pay a penalty and price that you could not pay, but all these centuries and all these generations and all different types of people and all different types even of communication uh, that happens in this world has been fascinated with a resurrection and now you've got an eyewitness that comes in and he's gone. They haven't seen him yet. We'll get to that. That's all that John needed and he believed. You have all of this evidence. You've had the word of God preached. And if there is no resurrection, there's nothing to believe. Why not just go out and have a great time and die in the grave? But Christ is risen from the dead. And as sure as he's risen from the dead, all that are in the graves will come forth in their timing. In their timing. The body wasn't stolen. Wasn't it interesting? We didn't deal with it this morning. But the religious leaders are going to have to fabricate a story. Someone stole the body, really, and didn't steal the valuables, and didn't, and placed the everything right, and the soldier's life was on the line, and they paid them off. Eyewitnesses are going to see, as we will continue on in this text, many at once will see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You can't squash that. Why? Because God's word is true. And the gospel message from the Old Testament, according to the scriptures, was that Christ would come and die. You read it in 1 Corinthians. That's why I had those first two verses. And he will be buried and rise again on the third day, all according to the scriptures. It is all in line. The evidence was there. The Jews had every sign they could ever possibly want. The Gentiles couldn't get over it or get away from it. And that is why people are still fascinated in talking with it today. They just won't accept the evidence of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. That grave is still empty of the physical body today because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again and all will come forth in the grave. You may not believe that there's a resurrection from the dead. That's sad. Because even the visual aid in Corinthians is given to us is the trees and life that's around us. But you need to believe because without the resurrection, there's no salvation. It is in the resurrection that we find redemption. We find forgiveness of sins. Yes, he died and paid the penalty. But for us to live with God, there's got to be life after the grave, and there is. It is evident from what we have here. We haven't even gotten to the sightings yet. That Mary came, Jesus was gone. The other woman came, Jesus was gone. John came, Jesus was gone. Peter came, Jesus was gone. Why? 
because he did exactly what he said he would do. He fulfilled the Father's will. Jesus Christ came into the world to do the will of the Father, and that was to pay the penalty and be the sacrifice for sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And he got victory over the grave. And as you read this morning, the last victory will be when death itself, there will be no more death, no more sorrow. And that's coming because of what Jesus Christ has done. Where are you? Have you trusted in Christ as a Savior? You say, Pastor Dan, I have. Are you living in the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ or as a defeated Christian? We find that Paul's desire was that he might experience in his daily life that power of God in the resurrection. That's where we should be living. Well, we have our trials, we have our tribulations, we have our difficulties, but we have a risen Savior. We have a Savior who intercedes for us now, who empowers us now and has given us his word and has given us his Holy Spirit. And if you haven't come to Christ, what evidence do you need? John looked in, then John perceived. This was the hand of God. This was the Messiah. And as we will see later on in chapter 20, which we started the whole book with, John says, I've written this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that believing you might have life through his name. It's the only place you'll find life, eternal life, and the forgiveness of sins. Trust in him for salvation. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you for the powerful testimony of these women coming to the grave. We thank you that it wasn't totally empty. We thank you that the grave clothes were there, that they could be seen, that they could be testified to, but that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was gone. He had risen as he said he would. And Father, we have the testimony of the scriptures. We will see the testimony of the eyewitnesses as we continue to move through John. But Father, we pray that you'd open up the eyes of the blind that might be in this room right here, that haven't yet come to Christ. Help them to see that this is no fairy tale. It's reality. That there truly was a resurrection from this grave. That there was no mistaking the grave. That there were no thieves involved. But that Father Jesus Christ, under his own power, rose from the dead. He is the first fruits and that others will be taken out of the grave, all men. Help them to come to see that they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that they might experience the resurrection of life. Father, for those of us who have already trusted in Christ, help us. There's many things that we don't understand or perceive, just like the apostles, even though they have been instructed. But help us to live with a zeal and a power, realizing that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior that we serve, is risen seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us now, and help us to live with that glorious power with the time that you've given us here on earth. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.